Hello, everybody, and welcome back to You Can't Win. This is Tom here, and I'm joined by Don, as usual. And today we have a special guest, Tiago. We're going to be talking about cryptocurrency in the year 2020. So with everything going on, like coronavirus and the protests and all the kind of crazy stuff happening, cryptocurrency markets have been going wild as well. And I guess if you're like me and you don't pay much attention to that kind of stuff, that may uh, kind of slipped under the radar for you. So Tiago is going to be telling us a little bit about that and just a little bit about crypto in general. So, uh, yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about your interest in, in this kind of stuff, Tiago? So the first time that I seriously engaged with it, I mean, well, the relative to your definition of serious, was um, in Prague in early 2017. I was at this hostel that was across the street from this, uh, this place, I think it was called the... Um, it's like the Cafe for Crypto Anarchy. Some inflated <laughs> title like that. <laughs> it sounds like something yeah. from a pension novel or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and y you go inside, and so the top layer is just a standard-looking kind of like minimalist cafe. The, the main differentiating factor is that you can only buy items in crypto. And so they have like a Bitcoin ATM right when you walk in. You know, I enjoyed the novelty of this. So I put in 20 bucks, and it prints out a – you have, have either of you used a Bitcoin ATM before? I've seen them online, but I haven't, I've never, uh, yeah, I've never seen one engaged with one. Yeah. So the way it works is that when you put in, um, whatever your local fiat currency is, so 20, I said bucks, but I guess it would have been Euro at the time. Um, and it prints out a receipt that has a QR code and then a little hash that denotes like the public key for maybe the, I'm not, I'm actually, I can't remember, but like something that you could technically use to spend for online transactions if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. So it, there's a QR code that's then scannable with, that's denoted in the exchange for whatever amount of um, Bitcoin that you just bought. And then um, in this cafe, you can take that to the cashier who can then scan the QR code and then authorize a transaction. The summary is that I spent three bucks something on an espresso, got out, left it in my wallet as your want to do with little slips of paper for a long period of time with um, the 17 bucks or whatever of change. Didn't really think about it until later that year with uh, this being 2017. This is when the um, big Ethereum bull run started. And so um, I put in whatever public key, private key information to check on the status of the wallet and saw that that had blown up to 80 bucks or something hilarious i mean yeah mm -hmm. so yeah and so that was nice and so um i bought a vpn with that and naturally being in sort of like the tech adjacent world and also finding it kind of funny that that was the case i start to read a little bit more about like well the, why did this uh, rise in value why are people starting to get interested in this and then i started to read about ethereum um which is kind of like so with with bitcoin i didn't want to get too much into the technical side of things but Generally speaking, the idea is that you, you have a bunch of people that are competing to mine blocks of Bitcoin, to like mine individual Bitcoin. And then as that happens, they also are collecting fees to authorize transactions from people, for example, like buying coffee in Prague or doing whatever people do with Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. um, the vast majority of it right now, I believe, is speculation. But I mean, this is sort of talked up and down, you know, dark web, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And um, so with Ethereum, the big the big innovation there was that um, they introduced a 
Turing complete virtual machine on top of that, which essentially means that you can not only um, authorize transactions, but you can also create arbitrary types of um, applications and make it so that like when these blocks are mined, they're also executing whatever scripts people have written for um, for Ethereum, right? Um, whatever arbitrary stuff people want to deploy under. I'm, this is a really dumb, this is the sort of thing where like, if people were want to like write in and, and talk about this, I'm sure people would have complaints about this explanation. But the summary is that it's like Bitcoin, but plus it does app stuff. And this allows people mm-hmm. to create currencies and so forth. And this is another thing where like, I, because of being tech adjacent, I had heard about this, but I hadn't paid attention to it because it just seems like an obviously kind of not stupid idea. It's like a kind of interesting one technically, but it's like, I don't really get why anybody would want to use that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but this, this ends up being the basis for, um, so you remember in 2017 that there were all of those, like, not just Bitcoin and Ethereum, but all of these, like, crazy types of different coins and tokens and currencies that are coming out that um, are supposed to be, like, oh, this is the new Ethereum. And, like, everything started to explode in valuation, kind of like, you know, 2000s.com bubble style, right? Mm-hmm. And that was all enabled by this. And so... Um, I, this, this is the first year that I had like a big boy job with some disposable income. So, um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not like a, the gambling sort, but, um, you know, I, this, I, I put in a little bit of money and it seemed like it was just going up, up and by a little, I mean like, you know, enough to where it was like, if I lost it, it's like not a big deal, like a, a couple thousand or something like that. Right. And yeah. And so, but a funny thing happens when you invest into something like this is that so this is my first experience with like what you could call gambling um what i mean if you wanted to be generous you could call investing or i don't know know, like speculation or something like that i mean it's like whether you've got the sort of like norm mcdonald death drive like you know uh (laughs) like like letting it dwindle all away and having some sort of purifying abyss come from that or if you're just doing this sort of like Big Dave, like, you know, make your day a little bit more fun. The number goes up or down, which is like kind of closer to me. You're still, because you've got like a stake in it, so suddenly you're kind of like paying a little bit more attention to it than you would otherwise. And sure. your, yeah. your, your brain starts to like, even if you're capable of having a, a, like, otherwise you'd be able to have a big picture view of like, you know, what's the point of any of this shit anyway? Like who's actually using this? You're you're starting to pay a little bit more attention to you know well maybe this could do maybe this could go somewhere maybe this could do something right mm-hmm. and so the way that um, so here's where I start to get in a little bit into I guess the market psychology of this from a buyer end is that in 2017 like the big thing was that you because you had this novel ability to really easily make currencies at that time you had all these things like um, like one of the ones that I remember that just seemed so frivolous was like uh, something that I think literally was called music coin. There was no real purpose to it, but it's kind of like how in the, in the dot com bubble, you had like pets.com or like shoes.com mm-hmm. or whatever, where you would just have like, oh, well, it's just a token for this industry. And if you think about it, uh, you know, music accounts for $1.72 trillion of whatever worldwide <laughs> GDP. Yeah. So if we just capture, you know, 0.1% of that market, then that's the a market cap of like one point whatever billion, right? Yeah. So it's always this like argument of like, if if we capture whatever percent of whatever market, then um, I mean, you wouldn't believe what the valuation of this is going to be in like, however many months. Sure. Um, 
I mean, a lot of this stuff is like obviously or should from the outside seem kind of fraudulent. And like, I mean, when you were talking about this in the first episode you guys did on cryptocurrency, it was very much from like an outsider's point of view, because like neither of you have, I mean, you you have the default, largely correct assumption that, it, that it's like most of this stuff, there's really no point to it, right? Um, but there's kind of like this bell curve of interest that happens where like, you can, you know that before you invest. And then you put money in and then you sort of like see everything kind of go up gradually at the same time. And you kind of get the idea of like, I know it's kind of phony, but like, I don't know. I mean, like if enough people are starting to, you know what I mean? You like your, sure. your mind starts, your yeah, mind, yeah. You, that, that wheel starts spinning a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, I got in quite late. I was pretty skeptical. I, I pulled out the moment it looked like any, the market was like going down. Um, I was lucky enough to like have like broken even it's uh, you know and i wasn't i kind of stopped paying attention for a while and then i started paying attention recently or i guess i should say as as early as last year when i when that when around the time that you guys were recording this episode because um facebook came out with this labor token and so this was the first uh or one of the one of the first sort of like big examples of, of fintech coins that are coming out of like decentralized finance is what they're calling it Mm-hmm. So, to give an example of this, well, I guess I mean there's two ways I could talk about this. The 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 big picture is that like a, a lot of people who either they got they got burned uh, in 2017 or else they like got interested in it then, but the, like they're kind of I don't know. I mean, people coming from various backgrounds, like you can't just. It, it would be pretty unimaginable now to say like, okay, well, you know, it's been four years and this seems like about the time when a bubble should happen. So let's do music coin part two, right? Like you need to have some other pretext for why your coin is going to rise in value. And it can't simply be like, well, you know, um, it's been a while and here's another coin for the pet industry. So, yeah. Yeah. So what? But like at the end of the day, it's like nobody. It's it's the 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 fundamental situation that like none of this stuff really has value or is used by like the the problem of digital basically anonymous payments is solved, right? It's not. It like Mm -hmm. the the thing exists. You can use it. So yeah, you need to have some sort of like pretext for for why this stuff is going to blow up again. And so this time it's kind of. the the overall trend in the industry, you might say, is uh, recreating the financial instruments that you see in the conventional uh, financial market, right? So that includes decentralized loans where you um, collateralize either against a cryptocurrency or against a fiat currency. That includes things like um, like payment resolution networks, um, insurance, and this includes insurance against because like all of this all of this programmable money, this concept of programmable money I was discussing, it's like, obviously, if there's a bug and you lose your money, then what are you going to do? So then there's all sorts of little wrappers around this, like insurance, or there's like a a court-based system that I was wanting to get into as well. But yeah, it's it's basically like proceeding from the assumption that, well, uh, eventually, everybody's going to be using cryptocurrency for everything. And, um, if you accept that as a as a sort of baseline, th- th- this is just the way things are going to go at some point. So it's valid to speculate. Then it follows from that that you would have demand for all of the things that you associate with, like typical 
finance, finance industry and fintech, right? Mm-hmm. But it's funny because it's like, so I, I I mentioned very early on how my my earliest, you know, dim recognition of what any of this was, was just kind of like SA people making fun of Bitcoin for being, I don't know, associated with like libertarians or being... Uh, philosophically silly or some of the enthusiasts being a bit, a bit bullheaded or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but those true believers are still around like that, that crypto anarchy Institute in Prague, I'm sure is if, if not still open, then it's like that's that subset of people still exist. Right. Mm-hmm. But then you've got this whole new audience of, uh, of, of people who are driven in this, like, I mean, if you wanted to be fancy, you could call it like libidinal way and uh, toward, uh, like obviously, on some level, they they need a pretext for the currencies to, uh, or for these things that they're invested in to all rise, right? And so, that pretext is all of these financial machinations that are totally counter to the entire idea of 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 having decentralized money in the first place. Like, in, mm-hmm. in other words, like you're. I mean, I guess the way that I'm thinking about it is that, like, it's funny because you now have these ideas where the assumption is that, like, cryptocurrency is going to take everything over, but then you have these internal contradictions with these new products that are the that sure. are going to be the basis of the new financial infrastructure. And to give an example of that, what I mean is, like, you've got a range of... So, like, Facebook Libra, was it would be an example of, like, a new DeFi stablecoin that's supposed to algorithmically self-balance its value not against the USD or against the euro or the pound, um, but against a basket of currencies and ambitiously maybe even, like, a basket of commodities, like the price of oil or butter or whatever in developed countries, Right. Mm-hmm. And then um, they put this on their, they, they put this on like WhatsApp, they put this on Instagram, whatever, they make this like their default, like Facebook way of payments. And then all of those services become the Western, well, not Western, but like the, I guess the Western sphere of influence version of something like WeChat. And then because they have enough market share in India, this like starts to bank the unbanked. And now everybody's using this decentralized, but you know, heavily Facebook influenced um, currency, right? Mm-hmm. And then the idea would be that, like, you know, once that happens, then suddenly you're going to need not just financial instruments, but also because of these weird technical problems with the blockchain. Like, for example, the fact that, like, you can't refund transactions, which is a, like a really basic part of having a functioning currency generally. Mm-hmm. You then have to create all of these technologies like um, uh, decentralized courts for, for, yeah, uh, yeah purchase resolution and like insurance for when your smart contracts fail and so on and so on. But it's funny because there's a contradictions where it's like, okay, so you want to uh, like, yeah, you're interested in decentralized currency because you want to remove centralized control and eliminate the middleman. Yeah. And you presume that like, this is like how we're going to get a borderless form of currency but then in order for that to function, you need to, in, in order to like not have middlemen, you need to recreate the middlemen, but in like a decentralized way where sure. now you have the same fees that you associate with all of this. So basically, it's just like you're building this really bizarre abstraction layer that presumes success because of not having the things that you're building, basically, yeah. but that also need the things you're building in order to succeed. Sure. And so it's yeah. funny because it's like, it's this, I mean... 
you mentioned pension earlier, Tom, with the with the Crypto Anarchy Institute, and it's like this sort of like pension level of just like arcane absurdity, self defeating types of sure, like yeah, like multi layered, like patching your system with the with the very things that were the reason for the system to have existed or or what its benefits over the existing were. So, I mean, I know these are sort of like people have been making these points since Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies more generally started to get their their more ardent enthusiast mm-hmm. um but it's funny now because like we're still seeing the same types of bubbles um and the same types of like maniacal moments of of of, of enthusiasm again as like somebody who's like kind of you know adjacent to the the tech being built, you look in tech circles and like nobody's talking about this stuff. So it's all people that are in this weird myopic, you know, mania around building up the ecosystem as much as possible mm-hmm. and like not having the ability to allow themselves the, <laughs> you know, a moment of big picture zooming out like sure. what what's the point of any of this shit? Yeah. Right. It's, it's almost like it, you've got, uh, you know, they're building up this one sort of central basic institution in something like Bitcoin or Ethereum. And then, you know, the obvious pointing out to it is, well, you need an infrastructure and apparatus that can kind of handle all of the processing, you know, like the the cases around it and all the issues that Mm -hmm. come up with this kind of thing. And, you know, the whole, the whole push with this in the first place was because that apparatus that in different ways, like the state and uh, the central banks and all that, you know, there was a lot of skepticism towards them and a lot of, uh, you know, belief that they were old, outmoded by technology and that. And now we've kind of gotten to this thing of people saying, yeah, the new ecosystem is, well, okay, we'll just, if we need to have these institutions and apparatus and stuff, we'll just build them into the currency somehow or around it. And uh, that's kind of, yeah, it is. It's true. It's funny that like uh, that, that whole move is almost like, well, then, you know, what is the actual gain here? of this new system other than really, you know, in some sense, maybe alienating it from democratic control or something like that kind of thing, like in terms mm-hmm. of uh, Facebook and stuff like that. So how is Facebook's project been going? I don't know what's the status of that. Do you know what's been going on in the last year or so with that? Or Yeah, that's, um, I don't want to say it's it's failed, but uh, it's, I, I don't see any way that it can possibly take off because as soon as they announced, um, there was kind of a fervor of interest just because of their stature. So, you, I mean, you had tech people that were kind of looking into it. They had this sort of interesting stack and all of that. And just uh, and also they had all these partnerships aligned around them. So, like, part of what the appeal of that was supposed to be was that, like, there was all this initial hype around, like, PayPal and Visa and MasterCard and mm-hmm. Stripe and Goldman Sachs. Like, every sort of, you know, traditional financial, you know... Um, blue chip company you could think of and everything having to do with like digital payments was aligned with them. Mercado Libre in Argentina was so there was speculation around like, oh, this is just going to like solve the inflation problem in, in countries like Argentina and Venezuela overnight. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to get all this market share. It's going to be built into their apps, et cetera. Um, which I know isn't directly answering your question, but it's, I'm uh, where I'm going with this is that like, Within a month, because of the amount of attention it's got, um, Germany and France immediately said, yeah, that's, I mean, as soon as you launch this, we're banning it. So sure. it, yeah. good luck with that. And then PayPal pulled out, Visa and MasterCard pulled out. So like they lost everybody who was supposed to be aligning with them on this. 
So yeah, and then they started to drastically scale back the the like I mentioned earlier that they're supposed to be self balancing against all these different currencies. And I believe now that they've scaled it down to like, well, we'll eventually have stable coins against the USD or whatever. And it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's kind of just you already yeah, have Facebook sure. credit. So it's just that it's just that's what that is, I guess. Sure. Yeah. So they could launch it, but it'll probably look more or less like, um, I don't know, the way you already pay for stuff in their network. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the that's the thing is that you do. I mean, it's not it's not necessarily unhealthy to see sort of this uh um, grasping that happens in any sort of new field with tech and all that kind of stuff. Like you see, you see th- like, you know, people kind of has to have to come up with business plans and kind of throw them together. But it, it is hard because I don't, yeah, I just don't see what the, it is, it is, it's, it's the universal adoption thing that any small business owner comes up with in their, uh, first business plan, you know, like of, well, if I sell this fl- fly swatter to 300 million Americans once each year or something like that kind of thing, then, you know, I'll, I'll uh, be a billionaire pretty soon or something like that. So I think that's, I think you're right that there is that sort of like adoption mindset that seems to fund a lot of these or like underline a lot of these projects. But I mean, one of the things that's interesting to me is you're talking about from, you know, the buyer perspective and stuff like that too, is that I see people talk about this kind of stuff online sometimes. And uh, I, you know, I only have like the 101 pretty basic economics degree level of like finance knowledge and stuff. But I can kind of tell from what's going on is there's a lot of like, uh, well, first, you know, uh, you know, of the ways that they could be doing it, you know, the sort of value side of it is doesn't really exist in the same way because you, it's just completely wild estimates and a lot of this kind of stuff on how value these, these things are going to be in the future and stuff. But I see constantly the charting kind of stuff going on where mm-hmm. people uh, say, oh, it, it went up like 5% today. So that will probably mean it'll go up 5% tomorrow. So, you know, like, they come up with these very elaborate sometimes or very simple <clears throat> things. And it seems almost completely based on uh, intuition to me. Like, I don't know like <laughs> how much yeah. of the industry is that. And then, I mean, you do see, like, everyone still makes fun of the people that are, you know, posting the memes of, like, the Joker being like, you didn't trust me on Bitcoin, now you won't trust me on this or something. You know, like, uh, uh, the sort of quick, you know, get rich quick people. But... There does seem to be a large uh, thing, and it seems to be merging with more typical kind of investing too, where you have these new apps and stuff, or like you know becoming popular like Robinhood and all that, where you just have millions of people gambling with uh, money that really is technically borrowed, probably for a lot of them. Like they have, they have uh, student loans and all this kind of stuff that they're, you know, like it's not it's not money that is just free and clear for them. So um, I don't know. That just seems like a weird ecosystem that it's talked about a bit about. Uh, I mean about a bit but it doesn't seem to be like uh i guess because it's personal responsibility and it's like the, still for most people the stakes are not high enough that it's not like gonna bankrupt them directly it just seems like a strange uh subculture now or something so yeah yeah it's very much a subculture um i i haven't paid attention to any of the like uh, Wall Street bets, or you know, yeah. like new wave of Robin Hood retail investment stuff, but mm-hmm. that seems very, very similar to me. Where it's, um, I, it, what you're, what you've touched on basically is that you have people that were not, um, maybe they've got a little disposable income, and that could even just take the form of um, stimulus checks, uh, which frankly is probably part of like the current wave of. Um, there being a bubble into this or Tesla or whatever else, right? It's mm-hmm. like 
people having money, they're bored, they're in, they have to be inside all the time, so they're like looking at a screen, which naturally, you know, kind of gets you, uh, leads to certain types of behavior. And, you know, they, they're, they're freaking out. They're reading like zero hedge articles about the dollar exploding tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. and they don't know what to do. And then they, they, you know, throw it into Tesla or some, I don't know, payments resolution token that's supposed to be the wave of the future. And then they see it go up 5%. And then, like you said, they have some great, like, they read somebody else's trading view window that shows that like 5% is actually like a parabolic indicator when you consider that yesterday was 2%. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and they've got no background in any of this shit. And yeah. I don't mean to insinuate, by the way, that it's like, you know, they're not smart like the real finance guys or whatever. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. you could you could make that argument and it's like I, I don't want to make a sort of an equivocal, you know, um, that nobody really knows anything uh, type of – that's not exactly what I'm saying. But you do end up with a weird sort of subculture around it because it's people that are that, – that they're really like driven toward a common goal of like – making it or paying yeah. off that mortgage or whatever. And they have no, like they have no actual grasp on how any of this yeah. stuff works. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And just to intervene there, like, uh, you know, you're, you're saying with that, a lot of these people could make money too. It's not like, it's not, it's not some, uh, it's not some like rule that it, it's like, uh, just going to all evaporate into zero for everyone. I mean, there's people that's, as you were said about the original Bitcoin, uh, like sort of people around that are the anarchy place still being open and all that kind of thing is like, you know, there are people along the way that make a fair amount of money. There's people that maybe make a loss on, you know, this transaction or that here and there and stuff. And the the thing that is interesting to me is just that ideology part of it, like that whole, uh, you know, this, this whole subculture operating around principles that they don't really grasp and how it doesn't really aim in one particular direction and stuff. Because it kind of reminds me of like uh, almost some of it, you know, and that that's why it was so funny at the start with the libertarian kind of stuff was, uh, you know, like with the sovereign citizen kind of thing and all the weird court rulings that you can kind of try to achieve and stuff where uh, those people sound crazy until like the day that the Supreme Court says something like Citizens United or something. And it's like, oh, no, no, money really is speech order. You know, like there's there's like these uh, people that are on the fringes, but they may well be it in powerful positions later on or at least be able to sort of translate that or something into some way like you know elon musk might be seen as a buffoon by some people now but you know it it doesn't necessarily end in the classic pride goes before the fall narrative for everyone And, and and i mean with someone like trump you can also see that the pride before the fall stuff doesn't necessarily mean that other people are going to be okay with the fall too do you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. it's not just something that you can kind of look on from a distance and laugh at a lot of the time because it's more complex than that it is it, it there's not the as you kind of said there's not the you know emotional there's not the catharsis maybe sometimes that you want from looking at these things and saying oh it's just dumb people thinking about dumb things and stuff so yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of um it's an odd little microcosm of um the stock market and in, in its in its current i guess it's its current state as well but i guess this goes back to Again, I don't want to be totally equivocal, and I have to concede uh, myself that I'm one of these people that like doesn't come from any type of like that. It, that doesn't come from a grounded financial background to where I could even make those types of comparisons. But I, you just sort of see what's going on with rampant speculation from retail investors in 
what have become meme stocks like Tesla or any of the like the big blue chip like tech stuff. And it's not like that's foundationally that different where like everybody, I mean, there's a sort of like common grasp that this stuff is overvalued, but also most of the people that are buying it like know that, but like don't know what it would mean for things to be properly valued. And then it gets de-anchored from what that like how the the market, so to speak, or this reified idea of the market should behave. But then it's not like those that money evaporates overnight, like Don said. You know, it's like I mean, there are still people that make money off of this. It's still, you know, it's it's not like it's just it's you know one day everybody wakes up and then realizes that it's like absurd, and then you know, and then like money just no longer. I think there was like an Onion article about that one time. Like you know, everybody just suddenly realizes money doesn't make sense, and then <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> chaos disintegrates. You know, yeah. society yeah, disintegrates. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, an, an easy example with that is for housing and stuff where uh, in Toronto, there's always, uh, you know, I mean, for I, I, I would say for at least maybe since 2008 or at least, but before that too, um, you know, there was articles every year about how the Toronto housing market's a bubble and it can't be sustained and stuff. And uh, there was like uh, on something awful, I remember there was a lot of people that would post about how uh, they were saving up their money uh, basically just in savings and... Um, waiting for the market to crash before they bought a house and stuff and just kind of coasting along and being like, oh no, we're going to kind of make do now because we're waiting for the price to drop maybe 20% or something, you know, like some, some, uh, thinking around that. And, uh, it never really, I mean, it, basically they never got that result. They never got that result that they wanted of, because prices just kept going up or at least maybe for a bit, you know, stabilizing, leveling off. But like, you know, it's the market timing stuff that that's like, you know, the whole John Lennon thing of like your life is what happens while you're making other plans or something like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like you're going to have to, you know, it's, it's very, very easy to look at something and say, Oh, that looks, you know, overvalued or that looks like a um, scam. But uh, you know, it might be 20 years passes before the sort of historical cycle goes through whatever, uh, rigmarole it has to to get to the result that you expected or something and that's that's all that matters is really being able to guess what timing if it would happen then or really other than just seeing the thing i mean you get that with anything really in politics and stuff too where you know people kind of uh, make these grand claims and then uh, it might take 100 years for that actual trend to kind of culminate the, the way that you thought it might or something and then then it doesn't really matter so yeah mm -hmm. i don't know yeah don't just know. to quickly go back to that point about the Toronto stock market and people just sort of saying I'm saving up until da, da, da. that really resonates with me because um, during that that period I was talking about when I first like put a little money into um, ethereum that I, I was aware of like the Bogleheads philosophy and you know index funds passive investment all of all of the ways that you're supposed to invest once you're like you know, I mean when you're seriously thinking about these things and how to make money over the long term and like not mm -hmm. trying to time the market and stuff like that but this was in you know this is after seven eight I guess I would know 2008 so this would have been like nine or ten years of I mean it, it was at that point where like you know every year for the last four years it's you know recession supposed to be coming around the corner sure and now you know that I, I don't want to do the hyperbole of the world as ending but like if it was going to happen it should be happening now and, and not to suggest that there's not a recession but it's like you know that this it's still the case that it, at any point when I could have invested in an index fund it's not like that would have been 
the the big precipitous drop that would have like made the perfect entry point like that didn't there's no falling knife to catch so far the closest thing you had was like stocks kind of dropping off and and not that's not to suggest that it won't happen but it's, yeah it's it's really hard to i mean it's like I, and i think that's part of with the appeal of things like um like crypto or putting money into these robin hood stocks is that even if you're the type of person who you know now has people have more access than ever to these perhaps platitudinous but still generally correct ideas around like passive investment and how to build money for the long term mm -hmm. but it's like it seemed for long enough that the market should have some type of like major correction to where it feels oddly safer in a way to just put money into something that's like a little bit of money into something volatile and then if you lose it then it's like oh well, fuck it i mean that's you know, I'm waiting for the market to crash anyway, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you think of it in like class terms or something like that too, there's a lot of people that they might just be busy with other things too and not really, you know, they're not really super focused on their money. I think that there's a lot of, there is this layer of people though that are, uh, they're very much at risk of falling out of the middle class or falling out of the sort of upper middle class or something like that where you know, they're a few bad years of income away from not being able to retire how they want to and things like that. And if you tell them, okay, well, your gains in investing are constrained in some pretty heavy way, like, you know, the, the Balga Hood sort of index fund kind of thing that you're talking about, like the, you know, it's, it's not, you know, you get maybe this steady growth, maybe if, if, if things continue or whatever and all that. Right. But, uh, people are afraid of things collapsing in some way or them being the one left out. And uh, I think that the thing with anything like this, like anything like with the day-to-day trading kind of stuff and that is that, or, uh, you know, these exotic sort of things is that uh, it gives that one, it's like that lottery ticket mentality or something like that too, where it's like, mm -hmm. well, okay, as you said, like put a little bit maybe of it into this, each person or a lot for people that are, you know, heavily committed. And if it hits off, then that solves all your problems. You don't have to worry about that kind of thing. Right. And then in the future. So I think that it's, it's like one of those things where they always say that like middle-class people go for astrology and stuff the most or something like that kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Like where it's like, uh, I don't know. Cause it, as for at the end of the day, for me, it's like the ideology of it or something like that, because there's other ways to solve those same problems without having to depend on these financial instruments or something like that too. Right. Like in terms of just beefing up public pensions and things like that or whatever. Like there's other strategies other than just, you know, the individual themselves making the right bet or whatever. So, yeah. 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 I've, I've been barely hanging on here, but I think I get what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but like my, my basic attitude towards anything like that is just like, I want to make the safest sort of bet on anything. And uh, like, as far as like, sharia principles and all that kind of stuff goes <laughs> yeah. tiago you and i were talking about this a little bit in the discord a few days ago that uh, you know is it halal or haram or whatever and i'm not qualified to say and you're not qualified to say <laughs> but uh, to me it just seems like the kind of thing that i should be really any any like really high risk sort of like speculative kind of thing is not what i uh, should be doing and i think part of that is that psychology you were talking about of like once you put a little bit of money into it you start to you know the gears start turning and that's what you get interested in you start thinking about like oh well they could go up 
you know, a little bit more tomorrow. And like, you, you know, you start paying attention to all that kind of stuff. And I, I just mm-hmm. think that that I don't think it's like the, the worst thing in the world. But I, I do think that part of the of, of the kind of warning against that kind of investment and, and whatnot, I think there there's some element of that sort of thinking being somewhat of a negative thing. You know, like it, it's probably not the the most positive thing because you can get carried away with it pretty easily, you know. Yeah, I totally agree. And, it, and it's so it's way more powerful than you'd want it to be because, I mean, to reiterate, I've I've never like put a substantial amount of money into any of this shit, but you put in a little bit and you've got enough to where like you feel like you can fill out, you know, like pad 15 minutes in a podcast or whatever from just like, you know, passively paying attention, you know? <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> so it's, it's, which, which shouldn't be possible because like if you know going into it that this doesn't like none of this makes it like if your perspective on it is basically the same in the broad strokes as somebody who hasn't put anything into it and it's just sort of like ah that seems kind of silly to me you know then i don't know it's 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 a little it's a little disturbing to see the way that you know your incentives and your and all that stuff sort of like starts to align and spark off in your brain um okay so uh you want to get into questions or are you guys okay or yeah let's 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 do do some questions here all right let's start with this one is don as nice a guy in real life as he seems yeah, he's he's a nice. I mean, he's he's as nice as he comes across on this podcast. I think this is a really good from from my perspective. This is sort of like what he's like to hang out with. You know, yeah, we, we've hung out a few times. Uh, Don has visited and, and stayed at my place a few times. Uh, haven't done that in a while, obviously with quarantine situation and all that kind of thing going on. But yeah, he's he's a good dude. Thank you. Although I, uh, I mean, I have to admit that. Sometimes I can't turn off my trolling device or whatever, and uh, it, and then that that can ruin someone's mood. <laughs> but like, uh, well, I, yeah, maybe but, for yeah, for others that's, uh, that's that would be I'll more say. of a thing. Sure. But like, yeah. I think with us, we have a dynamic where yeah. we're always sort of doing that, and so that's sure. like fun. Yeah. and it's just sort of like jokes. Yeah. I'm just so. yeah. That's my one caveat for that. Otherwise, uh, I accept all praise. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. Why, why people defend animals of extinction, but do not defend the species that risks extinction the most in the last 200 years, the white race? Oh, okay. So it's this guy again. Well, I, I hope it's one guy. I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I you know what? I, th- like, I think uh, it is that guy because there's uh, five messages after that that say Muslim Tom is race traitor. So that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. It really is a 200, last 200 years. I feel like hasn't, oh, well, I was going to say the white population has probably gone up like a huge amount in the last 200 years, but there was like that blip in the middle of the 20th century, I guess, where like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, does this guy consider Well, it depends Slavs if you white? consider yeah. those people. Oh, you're talking about World War II, right? Like, yeah. I don't know if we consider them white. That's a whole separate Slavs debate. Too, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll hold aside some of the more controversial parts of that and then even then, it's like Germans, I don't know, 20 million or something died, I don't know. So, I guess so, but that's kind of, I don't know, that seems more like white on white violence, I don't know. So Yeah, you know. well, I mean, I think even counting that, the white population has gone up. I, yeah. I think the general human population has gone up, like, however you slice it. Sure. So, I don't know, this is just more whining. We can't, you know, accept this. Just go have, you know, your family, whatever. Yeah, whenever right. this claim comes up from white supremacists, it, it it strikes me as because 
effectively it's like a numbers game where they're complaining about other populations um, having more children, which it, it seems like player hating to me. It's like I mean, like I, I get that part of the the idea is that you're trying to encourage your your own what you imagine to be your own community to have more kids, but I don't know. But, I would like to suggest that if you are concerned about such things, there is some religions that offer you multiple wives that you could, uh, you know, bear children with multiple different women at once instead of just one. So that's something to mm -hmm. consider. Can you please make some more memes, Donald? I like them very much. I, th I think everyone likes Don's memes, right? Thank you. Yeah. I guess I'm asking just one person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really, yeah. um, I really enjoy, um, the, some of my favorites that you've made done are the comedians, uh, doing various forms of religious memes. Like yes. The, the yeah. Cri like Chris Rock, um, riffing on, um, Zakat and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. So if you want to bring that back, those are a lot of fun. Sure. I, no, I think I will you've done yeah. a few of those, uh, like poems, like where it's like, you know, it's 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 set up to look like a poem, like Sylvia Plath or something, and then it's like Avril Lavigne lyrics or whatever. Yeah, mm -hmm. good too. Yeah, I kind of moved away from it because uh, uh, it's just it's pervasive now, kind of thing. Like, like in 2015, it made sense maybe for me to do like I don't know Mao singing, uh, you know, Billy Joel, whatever, something. I don't know, just you know, like taking from two things and then just mashing them together, but. I feel like that's like 90% of left-wing posts online now. So kind of, I've moved, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't have to, I don't have to contribute to that as much, but yeah, maybe I'll work on the old religion ones again. Yeah. I don't know if this qualifies as a meme, but um, I was sad when you retired your bit of, uh, of Louis CK secretly having a hand in everything that happened in every, 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 <laughs> every new script, every new Marvel movie, every. Yeah. Yeah. Like he wrote Black Panther and got yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. It would kind of make sense after Pootie Tang, I guess. Yeah, it's the natural progression. <laughs> um. All right, here's another one for Don. Why is or about Don? I should say, why is Don a Habs fan and not a Leafs fan? Um. Well, I lived in Montreal for about four years total, and um, I, I only lived in Toronto proper probably about like a year and a half total in my life. And uh, it's funny to me because everyone around me growing up uh, and in my family and stuff are like, you know, diehard, lifelong Leaf fans. So just being contrarian, I had to be a Habs fan. And uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure if I, I lived in Montreal again for any length of time that I would immediately get annoyed by all the Habs fans. So I'd have to become a Leafs fan, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how that works, but yeah. All right. Uh, do creatives make better art when they're depressed and or addicted to drugs? Um, I don't know. So I think this you got to go on a case by case basis because there definitely are people who were better when they were like on drugs. Examples that come to mind are like Lil Wayne and Gucci Mane. But I, I don't think that's a good like principle to just apply generally because I think a lot of times... I mean, if you're thinking about, like, say, for yourself, like, if you're someone who's making art, I don't think you want to get in a mode of thinking where it's like, oh, I have to continue my drug habit because that way my art will be better. 
your art probably sucks. Just 99% of the people that do it suck at it. So don't like maintain a drug habit so that you can kind of like delude yourself into, you know, my art is good or whatever. It, 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 you have to be good at the art in the first place. <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then there's tons of people that uh, make worse art when they're on drugs and stuff, I think, you know? I think people also tend to, I mean, we're all naming musical examples, which I, I think is, yeah, it makes sense. But mm. um, I, I think people tend to ascribe to, um, they, they ascribe responsibility to people's drug habits when really what's happening is that people are taking drugs because they're younger and in a certain part of their career and they're depressed or whatnot because they're I mean, I don't want to describe, it's hard to generalize here, but to give it like one of the examples you listed was Little Wayne, where you could say that he made his best stuff on drugs, but he also, you know, did prom queen and started doing really corny, just whack, bizarre lines. It's just all, like his career also totally dovetailed the more lane that he was doing. It's not like you can just say that, like, you know, that was a superpower. And then it, it seems like that also kind of, like, drove him off a cliff. Yes, so that's I'd be, true. I'd, I'd just as quickly ascribe that to him having whatever unique talents he had. And it's it's hard to distinguish that from, like, I mean, he was just a, a driven person who, like, that was part of, that was, that was part of his, like, um, there was, that was maybe an accoutrement to his uh, success of what he did, but. Uh, yeah, ascribing it to his successes yeah and then there's like i mean musicians are an obvious one it's it's a good point that you bring up that we're talking about musicians because i think it's just part of the lifestyle that people tend to have when they are like musicians touring all the time and kind of like mm-hmm. you know you just get involved in a lot of that kind of stuff so that's the obvious go-to but i think there are also a lot of musicians who maybe they were doing things or or whatever but then they go sober and you won't even know about it like it's not like they make a big deal about it and you wouldn't know it by the like the music output either i think um josh homie of like uh queens of the stone age and caius back in the day like i i don't know that he does a lot of drugs even though you would expect it kind of from the style of music and the people he hangs out with and everything so um, yeah, and then people just killing themselves or, or dying from overdoses. Like, obviously, yeah. that's like not good. That's not good for your output. So, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's sort of a. Uh, it's a distraction from the idea of uh, you know people are good at art when they are good at art. It's like about them. It's not about the uh, the drugs. Um, should we abolish individualized clothing and all wear frumpy gray cloaks? Um, I, I, I mean, I would probably be, well, maybe not frumpy in terms of, uh, like it'd have to be comfortable, but if it was just like comfortable, like if it was all like athleisure for everyone, you just had to basically wear that. Number one, people would complain and I just wouldn't want to hear them complain, you know, but if they didn't complain, I would just love it. I would just be fine with that. Oh yeah. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. want to. I don't have to overthink that kind of stuff. Just want to, for a lot of that, you know, just just to buy the 10 pack at Walmart, whatever, just go on about my day. That's about it. Yeah. I mean, so, are we that far away from that anyways? Yeah. Like, <laughs> at this point. Yeah. I'm kind of the same mind you, as you. Do you think, I, I wonder about this sometimes where like the DPRK 
flag in profile name people. There tend these tend to be people who are like maybe they're on the alternative type of the side of things. They're like they sort of present themselves as being um, crust punks or whatever subcultural. Like they that they have an investment in that, but they're really interested in these societies that are built on cohesion that's like enforced in some way through like personal like strongly through personal appearance and through like modesty and mm-hmm. not just modesty in your house, but like everybody having a sort of flattened experience. And um, I wonder how much people like on, on some level, like how, uh, like, because this question I'm assuming is coming from that angle, right. Of like whether ideologically it makes sense for that to be the case. And I go back and forth on this. I, not, I don't really go back and forth because like, I'm, I mean, in reality I'm fine with clothes being, the way they are, I wouldn't want like, you know, hard and fast, like actual laws around mm-hmm. this type of thing. Sure. But there is, it's like, it's weird because like there is a case to be made for it, basically like you were saying, Don. But then at the same time, it's like, I mean, you wouldn't ever really want to enforce that. So it's kind of yeah. not a real question, you know? Um, I remember, I think I mentioned this before, but I remember in uh, the early constitutional debates and stuff in the United States, um, one of the things that they would debate about is whether or not there should be like special taxes on or like bans and stuff on things like uh, elaborate outfits and stuff, you know, like fancy clothes and all that, because it was seen as like a liberal move to attack like fanciness kind of thing, like royalty and, mm. and nobility. Um, and it was like a sort of Puritan kind of thing, I guess, where it's like everyone should be wearing plain simple clothes to show that they're simple before God and all that kind of stuff. Do you, do and, you have a, sorry, do you have like an idea of when time-wise this was happening? So in the actual constitutional debates, I know it happened. It was part of it. Like they wanted to. Okay. It, it, so it was like 1780s, I guess, whatever. Yeah. Be. Because I know and, there was a thing around the time of the revolutionary war where people would make their own clothes at home and not buy clothes on yeah, the market because that sure. was coming from Britain and stuff. So like yeah, that the, might be, Part raw materials too, yeah. were produced in, um, in yeah. the colonies sent back to Britain and then they would have to purchase those produced goods and they were kind of against that. But I always, I always think that's, it's funny because, uh, I always think that when I'm, uh, I always think of that as an example when people sort of talk about the founding fathers being these like extreme libertarians who would never support like the drug war or something like that kind of stuff. And then it's kind of like, yeah, but I just want, it's not, it's not that I'm like, I think that there has to be a contradiction there. Like, you know, people can believe all sorts of things together, but, uh, I do like the idea of like the Cato Institute or something giving like a speech about like, you know, these dresses at the Oscars are just get out of control or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> we, we need to, uh, put a special 25% tax on, uh, these clothes and use the money to like, I don't know, found libraries or something. So, yeah. I I could I, like whatever the situation is in in the world. I feel like I could find a way to just be fine with it. Like if it sure. was really strict, I I would be you know I, it's just not something I care about too much. And then there's like pros and cons to all kinds of different ways that people go about these things. So I think the best attitude is just like you know let people do whatever they're doing at a collective scale, right? Like it's whatever. I I don't find it like a big issue in terms of oppression or something to like go either way on that you know like i don't think it's a big deal if people are wearing fancy stuff if they have the money for it and i don't think it's a big deal if people aren't allowed to wear certain things like it's just not something that uh factors into my idea of like am i living a decent life or something 
but sure. other people feel differently and that's fine and i yeah it's whatever have new gf she's fucking gorgeous though when we went to the beach some days ago i was surprised that she had a sun and red black sun tattoo over her left shoulder and a huge 1488 on her belly though she had some neat s runes in each of her shins as well as ak's on her thighs but yeah i think she might be one of those national socialists should i dump her dear tom and don um yeah sounds like she might be into that stuff or might have gone to prison or or something (laughs) that sounds i i don't know like leaving even the ideological stuff aside that does i mean People get all kinds of tattoos and it doesn't mean anything necessarily about their lifestyle. Like they might be some ad executive or something. But like this seems like somebody that might, even if you if you can kind of deal with all that kind of stuff, there you, you might, it might be inviting trouble in some kind of form or fashion, you know? No, Just kind of yeah. ringing a few bells for me, like meth addiction or, <laughs> you know, an ex who is a, a biker or something that might decide like, Hey, you got my girl kind of a thing. I don't know. No, I say stick with it and, uh, you know, talk through it. And uh, if you end up agreeing with her, then that's, that's what you agree with now. And that's just the way that life works. And sometimes loves, you know, takes you to strange places, but you should embrace it. Well, leave it to the Ukrainian to say something. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think, Tiago? I'll side with Don on this one, you know, Give her a shot. Have some civil discourse about it. She could be a fan of history or something of that nature, you know. Yeah, or Buddhism or something. With the, I guess she doesn't yeah. have swastikas. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Uh, all right, let's see. If non-Muslims are not allowed in Mecca, why should non-Jews be allowed in Jerusalem or non-Catholics in Rome? Um, in Catholicism. Uh, um, non-Muslims are allowed in Mecca. I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> <laughs> I so there's a few issues with this question. I think um, I, I think we need to say not Rome but the Vatican because Rome is like, but I don't know. Rome itself is not the the holy site, right? Like or the holy city in the same sense as Mecca is. Um, although. There's also like not any specific injunctions in either Judaism or Catholicism around the city, and that's the case with Islam and Mecca. So it's not an issue of like I don't I don't think that you need to like uh, just adopt a kind of a mirror position on it. And the thing with Jerusalem is like that's everybody's city in a sense. Like that's you know Christians, Jews, and Muslims all hold it to be very important and stuff. So. I don't know why you would just kind of automatically give it to Jews here. This actually brings up a couple of questions for me about that I hadn't considered about Mecca because, um, first of all, so the whole, you might have just said this, the whole uh, city is not uh, accessible to non-Muslims or it's only... Well, okay, so there's sort of a a matter of how do you define the city and... Mm -hmm. That seems pretty flexible, and I'm I'm really not versed on all the ins and outs of this. But there's an idea of of like a sacred space that is considered like okay. So if we say that the city of Mecca, like if the city limits expand, do those expanded 
areas now get counted because previously people would be able to be in those areas and now like it's part of the city does does that matter or does it do we go by the original boundaries or is it like a specific part of the city and i think it's actually the case that it is like a specific definition of of the city because i'm pretty sure that you can walk around like just on a regular street in the city itself if you're a non-muslim so yeah i i don't i i guess I'm, I'm just not knowledgeable enough about that particular issue but definitely in terms of like the like the area of the kaaba and that whole thing like that is um specifically to like only for muslims according to the law has that historically been the case yeah that that was something that came uh from the prophet Okay, like in a hadith, or is that an actual? Yeah, as, as a, as I, as I don't mean to grill you on this. I just did. No, I no, wasn't it's fine. Even aware of that. I am. I don't remember if it's from the Quran or from a hadith, but it's something that was like established during the time of the Prophet, and then continued on from there. And I think it's mm-hmm. sort of like you, you know, you back that up with either Sunnah, like which means from Hadith or, or from Quran or something like that. So this is going to possibly tread into similar territory to the question about Shia versus Sunni from the last episode. Um, but now I'm curious because there's all sorts of, um, like I was reading about um, like the Assad families, like the, the type of, I, I don't want to call it syncretic because I, I, I can't claim to know too much about this, but there's all sorts of strains of like, Islam, where there's you have authorities that extend beyond even what you would expect in Shia Islam. Is there like how are basically like how are cutoffs established for like Muslim versus not Muslim for things like this? Like you get what I'm asking, right? Yeah, sure. So uh, that's kind of why uh, Shia pilgrims to on Hajj are harassed is because of the Saudi government's like very strict definition of, of, around. Shias like being whether they are Muslim or not and Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that they have like an official position about that that I am aware of but there's like a a grand mufti and there's like a council of muftis that I think determine these sorts of things and I think you have to go on an individual basis so that's why it's not just like anyone from Iran is not allowed kind of a thing so uh, it's sort of like they have to find out somehow that your beliefs put you outside of the fold of islam and they have like a pretty strict definition of that um as far as like the assad family they're alawi which i i i mean the thing about their belief system is that it's secret so you can't like the the authorities in that religion can't they just don't tell you what they actually believe Um, Uh but it's understood to be pretty um pretty far from like islamic beliefs uh they have and the thing is you can't speak about this in a general way or in some sort of like well this is what the main tenets are because again it's secret but Mm -hmm. uh i from just kind of wikipedia type research uh they hold things like and there's different you know different people and there's different branches and you know there's different kind of beliefs floating around but like ali being god or some Mm -hmm. sort of like um a avatar of god that kind of a thing and there's a sense of uh, muhammad and ali and somebody else like forming sort of like a trinity of of god sort of a thing in in three different people like it's it's very i think syncretic is a very good way to define it because uh, it really seems to be the case but it's just hard to say 
Yeah, that's part of what I was asking. I, I also have this like Wikipedia level knowledge of just reading about it and thinking like, Jesus, this doesn't sound, I mean, this sounds pretty far off from most people's idea of like what being a Muslim is. Not to invalidate it I, per se, but I mean, if if that's true. I don't even know if they also- necessarily identify as Muslims half the time. That's the thing. Like people get oh. really touchy about like, oh, you can't just say people are non-Muslim. Like that, mm-hmm. that's a, you know, anytime Sunnis sort of like define their beliefs and then like there's a group that is excluded from that, it, it becomes like this big like, oh, you're you're bigots and stuff. But I think like, you know, there is a line like you have to be able yeah. to define your, your belief system. And, and at a certain point, like some people are on the other side of that line. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think if you're calling anything but God, God, I think that kind of puts you outside of that. So I, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know if, if that's what, if that's what they're about, then I would be hard pressed to like kind of say that that counts as Islam. But, um, yeah, but like I said, I don't even know if they identify as Muslim. I, I think it's one of the, uh, uh, you know, one of these issues where it's like there may be people who come from that background and they have pretty typical sort of Islamic beliefs, but they just happen to be from that sort of thing. And they're maybe not super interested in their, their particular sects like theology. And they may have like just a simple belief and like, yep, there's God and there's Muhammad and that's about it. And then, well, that would make you Muslim. So. Yeah. Yeah. And also to get back to the original question, I mean, it's not like uh, there was long periods of history where, you know, it's, I'm sure that, the Catholic Church had a very strong view that uh, Muslims were not supposed to be in Rome and stuff like that, or whatever. You know, like <laughs> it's, it's true. Yeah. I don't think it was like. Uh, I, I feel like it's a very and 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 I would even go like lean against uh, your. You know, the Vatican is not. It was. It wasn't that. It was just the Vatican. I mean, I, for that period, probably it was. It was all of Rome, and not just that, but like Christendom okay. or something. You know, so um, yeah, that's fair. That, like, uh, so that's why I always joke about this kind of stuff too, where I say like, you know, we should have a year of peace, and then uh, what we'll do is we'll build a mosque in Vatican City, uh, uh, like a Jewish temple, like a synagogue in in, and then you know, like in. And in each place, and then I always say, and then we can build a synagogue and uh, church in uh, like a cathedral in uh, Mecca. But I always like you know dress it up in like flowery language and stuff. Like <laughs> this will bring the year of peace or something like that. It's like yeah, well, you know, obviously it wouldn't bring the year of peace because like, everyone, <laughs> everyone would get mad. And not only that, but I mean, even just to say is that Jerusalem, you know, the idea that it's everyone city is a nice thought, but. Uh, yeah. obviously obviously it's not uh, it's all, right now it's not like uh, everyone's city in the way that um uh you know parts of it are inaccessible to a lot of people and stuff like that so yeah yeah i, I, I mean, like Jer- yeah. jerusalem has Go gone ahead. through ups and downs in, in yeah guard sure i like the idea of um this abrahamic unification taking place in a year of luigi style event. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what's funny about that idea don is i think that violates sharia on the level of building a mosque in the vatican i i don't think you're allowed to build mosques to replace or to kind of like dominate over other uh other religions kind of like places of worship and stuff like that and also building non-islamic uh places of worship in mecca i don't think that's allowed either i you know i'm this this gets into territory where i you know this doesn't concern me i'm not building things (laughs) i don't really know all the ins and outs (laughs) but uh that might be the case well also you know you know i'm sure you know more about this than i do and uh 
uh, our former guest Khaled probably knows a lot too, uh, the one from uh, Berlin or whatever, um, the minaret politics and stuff like that seems to have turned into a weird thing in places like Switzerland and stuff where they're trying to ban it all the time. And, um, you know, this idea that like any sort of tower, you know, of is like somehow, uh, you know, I don't know. It's a, it's a funny kind of thing where it gets into that, where it's like, they're trying to colonize us with these minarets or as, as if they're like giving off radiation or something. Yeah. Five. Yeah. 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 The call so, to prayer. People act like it's some sort of like war cry or whatever. Yeah. 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 Okay. Anyway. Yeah. I think we covered this one pretty well here. Um, the world is ending. The true religion ends up being Shinto. What would you do? Uh, so what is Shinto about? Isn't it sort of some sort of like animistic thing? Like everyone, everything has some kind of like spirit that you need to respect in some way, something like that. Yeah, I think it's spirit based and like uh, ancestor based and stuff like that. So I don't know. Well, oh, hopefully my ancestors and the spirits are happy with me, I guess. I don't know. It, I feel like if that kind of thing was true and all like the Abrahamic sort of line of thought was just completely made up or whatever, I don't know if that would like land me in trouble. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like if I have been a good Muslim or you've been a good Christian or whatever it is and you're like being good in the, in the world and everything, like I feel like all the spirits and ancestors would be pleased with that. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if they have like hell and, judgment and all that kind of stuff i'm not sure yeah i feel like it's probably to some extent something like we've talked about with hinduism in the past too where like uh it consolidated into uh like you know like world religion kind of thing uh in the last probably few hundred years where before that it was just like traditional beliefs that a lot of people held and then it came became like a state thing in the last you know period kind of thing yeah i don't know so I, it, I read a funny mm -hmm. thing about Japan the other day is that you are, um, it's like you're born non-religious, you marry as a Christian, and you die as a Buddhist. Because apparently uh, Japanese weddings are really modeled on like a Western style Christian wedding. Like they wear Western sort of clothes, like the, you know, like the wedding dress and all that kind of stuff. They do that in the Christian fashion for some reason. And then uh, older people tend to turn to Buddhism when they kind of, yeah. you know, as, as people kind of get more religious and stuff in their old age. Um, one of the things that I did in uh, China that was cool was uh, we went to this island. I think it's called Putuoshan or something. And it's just like this island that's got like this mountain and stuff on it. And it's like uh, Buddhist stuff, like all this like giant statues of, that look like gold and stuff. Probably just, you know, gold plate or whatever. I don't know, but like... Uh, and then um, there's like a monastery there with like its thing and they, uh, you know, the monks are all walking around and stuff and it's kind of cool. And like uh, it's, but it is interesting. You just see so many people that like, I think it, I think that there's like this thing where uh, it's uh, people see compatibility between beliefs and stuff that sort of more rigorous, uh, angry atheist people in the West might not see as compatible. Like, someone might not believe that there's a God kind of thing, but then might believe that there's somehow their ancestors are somehow uh, influencing them or whatever. And, you know, I don't know. So I think that, that was, that was an interesting experience for me at the time. Cause at the time I was like a diehard Dawkins kind of guy. And, uh, 
it was nice to walk around at night, you know, around all these monks and stuff. So, yeah. 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 It seems like even in the West, people who are putatively agnostic, well, then I have some way of reconciling that with odd received ideas of if if not around ancestry in a sort of like rough way you know what i mean like they they, they have some type of like quasi spiritual beliefs that are that that go beyond the sense that there's an energy or whatever like they sure. might have some sort of like layover and and that it doesn't necessarily have to connect to like a larger um uh, i don't know like structured way of thinking about these things mm-hmm uh all right so this is kind of like a poem that someone wrote sort of a thing uh gonna take a plane mother's afraid of flying should i just drug her Mm. so i have said i have taken like a really long flight before and popped like a vicodin before and it it went uh it was a very smooth ride it was a very comfortable easy ride i'll say that uh yeah i mean i i assume it's a little bit different now just with all the you know having to wear a mask and all that and people right that know, might be where the fear is coming edge. from yeah and uh no but yeah I, I i don't know i i i that's probably a good idea anyways just uh i don't know i mean if that's if she's up for it i say go for it don't probably don't do it against her will or like yeah, inject her no, with like a no, lot uh, or whatever. Yeah. ari shafir style dosing of people please where yeah yeah approve of that but and also i wouldn't go to the extent of like chloroform or <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, whatever yeah. like Offer her something to calm her nerves that isn't going to like completely, you know, yeah, use some moderation, but I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. Yeah, it's really um, like clonopin, Vicodin, whatever, all the, all those sorts of, I think it's Vicodin and Benzo, but like all those sort of like basic anti-anxiety drugs, I think will be fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Vicodin is a uh, painkiller, just like an opioid. Mm. When I was, um, when I was very green in my, um, when I was very new to uh, smoking pot, I I think the first time I ever tried an edible was before I went on a plane, just out of like some idea of how such a thing should turn out, and that was uh, really unpleasant. So don't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, also, you could introduce her to you can't win. It's like pleasant chats and stuff. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you might relax during the whole flight, or whatever you know. Afterwards, she can take it off and be like, "I'd like to talk to you about PizzaGate. I got, I just got some new information about this." <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah. laughs> okay. All right. Um, okay, so we'll wrap it up with the, these last two here. So this is just like a comment on my anti-Slavic racism. Uh, Muslim Tom's anti-Slavic racism is atrocious, and it shows. Well, what, what do yeah. you think, Don? You're the you're Slav, and you know we do this every week. No, I think uh, it's great that we're getting a new new audience with, you know, insightful commentators and uh, interesting things that, uh, you know, I'm putting Tom on probation on this. So uh, if not, then, uh, you know, he might want to take a step back and we can get like a, I don't know, maybe a more Russian host or something like that that could... Uh, take his place you know so one of the things about like i I mean because there's definitely a lot of anti-slav sentiment coming from tom on this pod but then when that you know then people start to hear these dialogues around slavs building the pyramids etc and then that kind of gets them you know they want to investigate that more and then they see sort of the truth around some of these claims so it's like Mm -hmm. i mean yeah there can that can lead to a positive dialogue too sure yeah teach the controversy yeah Mm -hmm. so yeah exactly 
Uh, okay, so let's let's finish with this one. It says, uh, this actually seems like a sincere question. When I first read it, I thought it was a joke. But it says, is looking at porn ever not sinful or haram? I've heard some admittedly flimsy-sounding justifications using the hadith about the guy not doing ghusl because he'd die. Otherwise, are some forms of pornography less sinful than others? Like, is hentai or, say, written erotica better? Or is it all just offensive to God? Thanks. I, I don't think you can ever just say like, oh, it's actually fine. Um, there are some like edge cases where certain things are permissible because like it would like there there was a sort of a, I, I assume this is a hypothetical situation where someone couldn't stop themselves from like they were about to rape someone out of just like they were just, you know, going crazy and, and were unable to like stop themselves from do it, doing it unless they, you know, masturbated. So in that case, that would be not only permissible, but it would be obligatory for them to do so because that would stop them from committing like a greater sin, right? So that's a very much an edge case, right? We're talking about this is a way of preventing a rape. So I, I assume that this person is not in that kind of a situation. Uh, so I would not go around trying to find ways to justify looking at porn. I think we all kind of understand that that, you know... You, you're not supposed to be looking at people, you know, you're not even supposed to be seeing someone's hair unless they're someone in your family or like your spouse. You know what I mean? So, like, I, I think that porn is clearly uh, beyond acceptability in, in that regard. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like kind of an obvious thing to me that maybe some forms are less sinful than others, but it's still, you know, we're talking about is it. 99 points of sin or is it 95 points of sin you know that kind of thing what uh, was this hadith about like a guy he had the he, I, I, either i'm he not sure porn or he dies or something so the, he referred to something a guy not doing ghusl because he die so ghusl is like um it's a before muslims pray we have to do a kind of a washing thing and that's um mm-hmm. that's wudu and uh, ghusl is something that you have to do after certain things. Um, so sex is one of those things or ejaculation. And uh, that that is just it's, it's basically like a full shower or a bath. Like you have to completely submerge yourself in water for it to kind of be a complete Is it this before or after? After. Okay. So it, it's similar to the wudu, except that it, it, it's a little bit more extensive. And uh, it's not only for sex, it's, it's for other things as well. But I, I'm not sure what this uh, hadith is about where he couldn't do it because he would die. I, I think I have heard about issues where you like if if you have some kind of wound or some kind of medical issue where you if you were to do a closel that would like do harm to you in some way that you are exempt from that. And that's that's generally the way all, like Sharia works. Like there, there's sort of a a situational kind of understanding to like, you know, there's like priorities, right? Like preserving religion and preserving your life are at at the very top there. So uh, just because it's like, well, this is the norm. You have to do this after, after, you know, in a certain situation, that doesn't mean that like if doing so would kill you, then, then you still need to do it. Like there's, there's context, right? Um, but that, I, I can't see any situation where it's like, well, it's actually fine to look at pornography because of some w- weird thing like that. Uh, it's it's not 
it's just bad for your like spiritual development. You know what I mean? This is what I, I generally hear uh, scholars and imams and stuff talking about. Like uh, it, it's very um, like distracting. Like it, it you kind of get focused on weird things. You start thinking about other people in in ways that you shouldn't be thinking about. Like it, it's it's not the the right approach to to sex and that kind of aspect of our lives. Um, I don't know if it's like a meme thing because it's uh, something I saw only on Twitter and like that's the kind of thing that I have no idea if it's true or not. But people usually say that it's like was the opposite sort of historically from the way that this question is premised for within Catholicism where uh, some like a lot of the times people would justify visiting prostitutes because they would say that it would prevent them from masturbating, which was the greater sin. Yeah. And um, I that's kind of that. a, it's kind of a theory that people kind of put out there. And uh, I don't know. It, it seems like kind of a bizarre strategy, but, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think that that existed. Like I think in, this is really fuzzy in my memory, but I remember learning about something like there was like church funded brothels because of, you know, the clergy or something like to kind of like give them a, a, a vent, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know, you know, obviously the, the, the way that this is handled in Catholicism is going to be different. I imagine that people are probably not advocating for that kind of thing and the church wouldn't, uh, try to justify that kind of a policy today but yeah probably in those days it was even like not uh on the up and up it was probably a little bit kind of on the shady side but sure um i mean that situation has existed in uh a muslim context as well where people have kind of arranged things like that where it's not really what the religion would have you be doing but that's that's what people have gotten up to yeah um yeah i don't know i, I this is something that people uh struggle with a lot um, it, it's something of a kind of a big topic of discussion amongst Muslims is like the issue of pornography. And, um, I, I, th- I don't think you want to be finding ways to justify it. Basically. That's, that's kind of how I feel about this. Uh, that being said, like, I also don't think you should be, don't get too torn up about it. If you do end up like looking at it or if you have some sort of like issue with this, because there's, you know, it's a lot more common than you might think if you're someone who, you know, comes from a conservative family and it's, it's something that you kind of have this idea of. It's like some really huge sin. Uh, I'm not trying to say that it's okay, but it's, it's a lot more common that you think it's not, it's not really hurting other people in the way that a lot of other things do. So uh, don't, don't kill yourself, you know, don't, don't, uh, get too torn up about it. But at the same time, like you don't want to be finding ways to kind of justify it. I think you should be able to kind of figure things out in some way and understand that it's sometimes it takes a long time to, to sort those kind of things out too. So, you know, as long as you're making a good effort, I think you can kind of rest easy on that and know that, you know, God recognizes your efforts and it's not necessarily about being perfect. It's about trying to do the right thing. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll end it there, I guess. Uh, thanks for coming on Tiago. I really enjoyed our uh, conversation about crypto and stuff and um, yeah. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's been fun. Yeah, thanks, Diago.
Okay, guys. So if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like a second episode of You Can't Win Every Week, you can subscribe to our Patreon and you will get access to that as well as our Discord where you can chat with us in our community. And don't forget that you can submit anonymous questions to our Curious Cat and the link for that is pinned to the podcast Twitter account. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next week.